Welcome to Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. Today's message is a continuation of the prophetic training series brought to you by Lane Reading. To find out more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. So, before we get into some serious things tonight, we've got to have some jokes. Tonight, we're actually going to have some mom jokes. But we're going to start off with one or two from me, and then we have some new sponsors. So if any of you have some jokes um, that you want to sponsor an evening with, please send them to me. Um, So two from me. Who was the best female finance lady in the Bible? Pharaoh's daughter, she went down to the bank of the Nile and drew, and drew out a little prophet. <laughs> what kind of man was Boaz before he met Ruth? Ruthless. <laughs> okay, so the next ones, if I don't butcher them, um, they're mine if I do. Otherwise, I give credit to John Cayo. Um, so these proudly come from John Kyle, who said I could use them. What did the bug say when the pest control man sprayed the fruit tree? I won't live in despair. <laughs> despair? Okay. What would, what would happen to the bug if apples were gra- grafted into the pear tree? The bug wouldn't have to live in disrepair. (laughs) What kind of bed does a bug sleep in? An apricot. (laughs) Thanks, John. Holding up dad jokes. And then mom jokes from my wife. What do you get when you mix a cow with somebody in business? An entrepreneur. (laughs) What do you call someone who mows lawns with cows? Other than a farmer. (laughs) An entrepreneur. (laughs) Okay. All right. I just got to laugh, right? (laughs) Um, Okay, so from last week, uh, I want to make a correction. Uh, A friend of mine politely pointed out that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not the apostles. What I was trying to say was Peter, uh, J- Peter, James, and John. <laughs> Although John was a prophet, I mean a, an apostle, um, you know, Mark and Luke were not. But, um, so good correction there, thank you. And then I got a question. And um, somebody asked me, Why are prophetic people specifically, but Christians as a whole, dangerous if they don't pray or intercede? And I thought that was a really good question, so I want to clarify it. One, um, without prayer, which really makes us vulnerable before God, we don't have the, the heart of God, which his heart is for unity and maturity. So that's one reason. It, It keeps us vulnerable. Number two, what we ta- we, without that, we tend to take his word and whatever communication or whatever we feel or hear from him, we take it as information 
and not intimate communication. And so there's this subtle difference which we so clearly see, as I say, at worst, we become like Balaam, who not only heard from God, he was in the literal presence of God. And God would not let him curse Israel. He was hired by a king. He became this mercenary. And we can become very mercenary in our Christianity without the heart of God. Which is why there isn't the gift of critic. A lot of people guise it in, you know, trying to keep people safe from whoever they disagree with. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have boundaries and things like that. But... Even Paul said, people aren't the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. We don't, our weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, okay? And so Balaam, which is, you know, if some of you have heard me say, is the ultimate of a false prophet. A false prophet isn't somebody who doesn't hear God and doesn't experience God. Balaam literally did. What he did was lead people away from Jesus, now, we've got to be careful there because you may have your preferred way to Jesus. You know, but when Jesus was hanging on the cross and the one guy says, you know, when you get to paradise, remember me. That wasn't the Lord's prayer. That wasn't three steps. I, I, hear my heart. What Balaam did was he said to the king, you know how you can get God to destroy this nation? Just put some of your pretty women around the camp and... They'll do some things that God won't be happy with and he'll judge them. And that's what they did and that's what happened. That makes somebody a false prophet. It's what you do with information and insight. Which is why without intercession and prayer, we become very dangerous and susceptible. In fact, it says in the latter days, we will be prayerless. That's one of the signs. And I'm not preaching eschatology, I'm preaching, if, if you had been during World War II and Hitler was murdering people, I mean, we hear how many Jews he murdered, but he murdered six million plus Catholics as well. They would not, that would not have been an easy time to not let your heart get hard. I mean, you're praying and people are being slaughtered. Same in the New Testament. I, I mean, Rome destroyed how many hundreds of thousands of people? Stalin, I mean, you've heard what I've said. So this is why I said, not every prophet is an intercessor. Not every intercessor is prophetic. But prophetic people who don't know how to pray and intercede are very dangerous. And that's true for all of us. The prophetic is meant to help us because we've all seen people use teaching or um, whatever their gifting is, as a weapon instead of as a means to build the body of Christ up as we've seen. So hopefully that answers um, some questions around that. So today we are going to jump into hopefully the conclusion, um, the unity and maturity of the Trinity. Um, and for some reason, it's not showing up properly, guys, up there or down here. Um, the bottom part just says gifts, and it should say gifts of the Spirit, gifts of God or the Father, and gifts of Jesus. Um, 
So, this is, you know, the gifts of Jesus part three. Last week, you know, we, we ended somewhere, and I'll do a recap. Again, remember this teaching is very, very high level. The focus of this session is, is experiencing God as the communicator in our own lives. Okay, this isn't, you know, I'm, I'm drawing, as I've said, a bit of an arbitrary line. And I'm trying to start this discussion. So let's go into, whoa, guys, I do not know what's going on here. It's not looking good. What I'm seeing here doesn't match my slides. So Dom, if you're hearing me, um, please forgive the slides up there. We'll just move on. So the summary here, as I say, one, we, we've acknowledged that we're more comfortable with the role of the teacher, of the pastor, or the shepherd, and an evangelist. That we just understand that a little more. We're not intimidated by it. It doesn't weird us out, you know? Um, but as soon as you say prophet or apostle, it's like, you know, we go to these extremes. And that's why I, I listed people both in and outside the church, because I, I think we need to stop this, in, in some ways, the secular sacred concept. You know, we are the, 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 the temple of God. He resides in us now. Yes, there are it seems like locations where the presence of God is tangible, but that's not where he resides. Scripture is very clear that he resides in us. And so the whole point of this is just to start the discussion so that we as saints can go, how is this meant to impact my life and how I hear and experience my relationship with God, and walk it out. As I said, you know, we hear different people speak with different giftings, and some of them we just go, wow! And others we go, okay, I'll take peanut butter. And, I, and I've said that helps us begin to understand who we are a bit and what's going on. And let's see. Um... Sorry, somebody was texting me. I was just wanting to make sure it wasn't with this. Um, the challenge is these are given to us so that we can grow up and become mature. So how does that help us experience God in our relationship? The only way is if we have some beginning understandings and we start demystifying it. Like I said, have all teachers been good? No. So why do we suddenly say, well, you know, if somebody thinks they're a prophet and, and do we have to obey them? And, <laughs> no. Leadership in the New Testament is like trust. It's earned. You know, in the Old Testament, if you gave a prophetic word and you were wrong, they stoned you to death. They did that sometimes even if you were right, because <laughs> they don't want to hear it. <laughs> but New Testament says even we hear in part, we see in part, we understand in part, we need to judge, we need community. We need... It's very different. And this is the challenge we face, the apostolic as well. So let's move on. You know, in, in later teachings, we go into a little more detail, you know, study things a lot more. But at this level, it's just 
at the basic definitions, you know, it says the gifts of Jesus are given to us. The difference between us and the gifts given to us or the body is a sphere of influence. Paul was called, I mean, the first prophetic word he got was, I'm going to open your eyes and tell him what he's going to suffer for me and my kingdom. Now, that's the word you want to put on your refrigerator, right? Like right there with Job. <laughs> But in an essence, what an apostle is, is somebody who goes, who opens up new areas, who extends things. All of us, to some degree, are called to do that. And, and be inspired by that. I don't care if you're called to be a teacher, if you're called to be an administrator, which we'll get to later on. There are different gifts. Every aspect of what we do has this this other aspect, this practical side that we learn from each other. Then there is the prophetic, which is called to experience the heart of God's communication, whether it is more, you know, on the horizontal level, the social justice, or the vertical level. Did I get the horizontal vertical? Sorry, got it wrong way around. But there's different things there, and that's meant to impact us. The evangelist is... is I mean, especially in Ephesians 4, evangelist isn't the one who goes and gets people saved. Remember, these gifts are given to the church so that we can do the work, not them. Now, that's not to excuse them. And these aren't people necessarily who are hired by the church. Scripture has a whole different teaching on the government of church, which, you know we can get into, and Steve does an amazing job of teaching that because of some of our background and some revelation and what's going on. So, yes, some of these gifts can be in the church. I mean, Paul was an elder for a while, which in biblical context means one of the leaders. But it's not always that case. All of these gifts are by influence, by trust. Okay, so let's... Let's just get rid of this. Nobody has authority in your life and should have no authority in your life but what you give them. I don't care who they are. Okay, so it is important for us to become more comfortable with who the apostolic prophetic types are and all of them and what they do so that we can grow up in how we bring unity and maturity to those around us. The only reason some of these wackos get away with stuff is because we let them influence us. A lot of times, you know, people make mistakes and people get so judgmental we don't help each other. Now, yes, there are some people who, you know, think they are God's gift to whoever. But let's put the emphasis where it needs to be. Okay, so, all that being said, let's jump into shepherds. And interesting enough, this is a, a very intriguing one. So, the word pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. Okay, in our modern context, pastor has come to mean the leader of a local Christian congregation, especially in a Protestant church. This understanding is not biblically helpful. It's not, we, we've, now, 
some of the terms we're more comfortable with, we have to rethink because Scripture may not teach what we think. And it doesn't make us wrong. We, I mean, you know, the word bad used to mean evil, but now you have to know the context because Michael Jackson made bad cool. Like if you say, wow, that's bad. That could be, man, that's awesome. So even in Scripture that happens. So I'm not denigrating anything. I'm just saying we're looking at this from a biblical worldview and trying to get a better understanding. So while this verse says pastor, we're going to use the word shepherd to help distinguish between the calling and local church government. Why? Is everybody called to be in the local church government? No! Okay, shepherds will, among other things, enrich communal experience, develop social bonding, demonstrate credible witness, protect the body, promote and facilitate healing. They're not codependent. Sometimes they make peace. They're peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And we misunderstand that. So a lot of times when you see people keeping the peace, I think a lot of times they're immature shepherds. Are only apostles and prophets meant to handle conflict? Of course not. Do you see? No matter where your gifting is, we've all got to learn how to deal with different things. They encourage peace or shalom and wholeness. They champion inclusion and embrace, assist in discipleship in the way of Jesus. So no matter what they do, they're, they're wanting, they, they, they gather groups more so than the others. Well, of course, teachers do that. They've got to have somebody to teach to and apostles and brothers. And but this has a different aspect to it. Okay? So think about those people in your life. You might be one of them. They enable human flourishing. They cultivate the family of God. They cultivate rich and loving communities or businesses. Someone with the shepherd's gift will disciple and care for those around them. Lead people to maturity. Look to mother and father. It's not, it's not that they have to think about it. It's just what they do. On their worst day, they're still going to do that. Maybe not well, but it's just, they can't, you can't not be this. That doesn't mean you don't do other things. We're never one-dimensional. So, some examples in history. Mother Teresa. Now, again, we could argue, and I think especially when it comes to women, because let's be blunt, we've grown up in a, you know, a patriarchal society. So, ladies... Challenge me. Serious. I mean, you know, it's kind of 
funny that a man is telling, now, yes, men can help women be women and women, but think it through. Who are some of the women who are apostles, who are prophets, who are evangelists, who are shepherds, who are teachers, both in the, in the church setting or the churches and in business and in entertainment and in... Start thinking it through. Let's take these off. Let's help each other. Because this, this, this is not meant to be men against women. There is no male or female, no Gentile or Jew. How do we work and build together at a whole new level? I've got to rein myself in. That's for a whole other session where we discuss this more. But, okay, we said Mother Teresa, St. Patrick, Nelson Mandela, Florence Nightingale. My, I put in here Leon Fondal, who was the man I got saved under. Anwar Sadat. If you don't know who that is, he was the Egyptian, not president because I forget their structure, who got assassinated because he was the first one to want to bring unity. Now, he could be more than that, but... And then uh, Malala Yosef, I can never say Yusuf Zai and her father. This, this Muslim girl who got persecuted and her father and what they're doing in that world is astounding. Astounding what's going on. Okay? We've got to look at these things. I don't know where to place Mahatma Gandhi. Everybody knows his name. <laughs> was he an apostle? Was he a prophet? Was he a teacher? I, I don't know. What about Diana? When she died, the entire world stopped. I don't know. Ladies? Because a female apostle is going to look different than a male apostle. Just because men and women are different and men to be. Doesn't change the gifting. So help us. We've got to, that's why I said I'm starting a discussion and I'm stirring the pot. Because we, we, we have to help each other. Okay, not so we can go, you're an apostle, you're an apostle. No, just so we get a better understanding and going, wow. Who, who, I need to grow in this area. Who are some of the people I could look to and learn from? Okay, let's move on. So that was shepherds, teachers. All of us have been impacted by someone whose gift of teaching has revolutionized our understanding of something. This gift is pro probably the most understood. The ministry of teaching will, among, will do, among other things, bring wisdom and understanding, develop worldview formation and maintenance, cultivate a love of scripture or truth, ensure theological discourse, develop resources of learning, Integrate life and thinking. Transmit ideas. Develop traditioning. 
create a culture of lifelong learning. Someone with this gift will bring understanding of God's word in his kingdom. Or in business, they will, they will impart how the business works at many levels. I mean, we create whole education departments. Be primarily focused on establishing maturity through knowledge and truth. Be a scholar or an educator. What they bring has an impact that forces a response. And I want to use a, a term here that I'll explain in later sessions, but my wife and I, Sheila, experienced what I will call the first time I remember experiencing an apostolic teacher, meaning they were in Ephesians 4, called to the church, and they functioned at just a mind-blowing level. The transitions in their lives, once we got to know, were staggering. But I, I managed a Christian bookstore. And the first time this gentleman spoke, literally I felt like the ground was shaking. I would hold on to the chair. He would speak for two plus hours and nobody would move. No one. Every time he spoke, no, he, could, he spoke on the worm that is Jesus once, which sounded the most bizarre topic. But unfolded scripture. Every time he spoke, we sold out of every Bible, every concordance, every theosaur. He could have taught on the lampposts, you know, of Russia and... Nobody else who we had go through the church ever had that level of impact. For me, that was, what, that was an Ephesians 4 apostolic teacher in the church. I think, as we'll see here, examples in history in and outside the church. Martin Luther. He was the first to challenge the Catholic Church because to that point they said, whatever we say is truth is truth. Our traditions are truth, whether they're biblically based or not. And he challenged that. John Calvin, Teresa of Avilia, Plato, Abraham, Herschel, David Attenborough, Yoda. <laughs> Just think about it. Tim Keller, Michael Heiser, Simon Sinek, the whole TED Talk movement, Brene Brown. I mean, she mentions, she creates a book, and it, I, who writes a book on how to deal with shame, and then it becomes a global bestseller? And she starts off with, I'm the least likely person to ever do this. I hate the touchy-feely stuff. And most of us go, hey, this is the preaching, then shut up. <laughs> and then she goes into the research and basically says you can have no intimacy without vulnerability, which means you have to deal with shame. And what have we of the church done? Pile on the shame and the guilt. And, and I'm talking overall. We're trying to dig ourselves out of this and, and how to live in accountability. 
So, those are the five gifts. I mean, when you read them like that, you go, okay. Let's, let's look at Scripture and the data and, and move forward. So, in summary, none of us are one-dimensional and none of us are fully mature. Paul was not just an apostle, as he could clearly teach, and he was also a scribe, or in modern terms, a writer. And he may have been prophetic. We're not one-dimensional. We tend to have multi-dimensions. But at essence, who are you? No matter what has happened in my life, and I could tell you my story <laughs> more and more, even when I turned my back on God and walked away because of personal brokenness that was revealed to me, I would have dreams. And they would come true, and I would get so mad <laughs> at the God I didn't believe in. <laughs> In my worst moments, my whole life I've always lived in the future. I didn't realize that until I married my wife, who her whole life lived in the past. And so we've agreed to live in the present, which is where we're supposed to live. <laughs> so she drags me to the present, and I drag her to the present, and you know... And I'm, I'm joking a bit, but there's some truth to that. And it's good because we need people who remember the past to help us understand our context and, and, and the broader picture. But we've also got to look to the future. Who are you in this? What is, because when you understand you more, as you experience his communication, it makes more sense. Peter was an apostle, but Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. <laughs> so he had to learn to teach. The challenge for each of us over time is to allow ourselves to figure out what we consistently do. Unless God comes and says to you, you're this. Most people then spend a good 10 years fighting that, embracing it, fighting it. It's never easy. If it was, as I've said, more people would be better at this. But there's freedom in realizing you're not one-dimensional. I mean, are we saying all apostles don't have to be shepherds? Uh, no. All of the fivefold gifts in maturity are meant to be fathers and mothers, but none of them are going to be like shepherds. As I've said, I know there's a lot of prophetic gifting in my life. It doesn't shock me that people don't want to often snuggle up to me and feel all warm and fuzzy. Now, other prophetic people go, Lane, but you're so easy to talk to. And I go, I know who you are. But a lot of real shepherding people will go, 
yeah, um, I know you, I like you, I just don't get you. Like, what? But you get around real shepherds, I don't care what gifting you have, you just feel nice. They bring a peace. And the bigger the sphere they have, then they do it to leaders. We've got to have shepherds of leaders. And you see it in the business world. Same with evangelists. Same with all of the gifts. We've got to grow, but who are you in essence? Okay. Now what I want to do is, before we jump into this, the last part of this, um, which is going to be, you know, when we started this, it was the gifts of the Spirit, which is Corinthians 12, that first part. We're going to end with the last part of Corinthians 12, because it's the gifts of God, the Father, and he lists some more gifts. Because remember, this isn't like we've got Jesus over here, the Spirit over here, the God and Father over here, and they're three separate entities. They're one. We're just showing different emphasis. But we'll see some more people-type gifts. But what I want to read to you out of the Passion is Ephesians 4, 1 through 15. Because I think you, you see the emphasis in this more and more. It says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to the high rank you have been given in your divine calling. With tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love to one another. Now remember, God doesn't have to write something if it's obvious. He doesn't have to say, Lane, all humans need to breathe at least five times a minute. Does he? As I've said, no, because if you stop, you're dead. So you... But when he says that, why? Because this isn't always easy. With tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another, especially towards those who may try your patience. Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bond of peace. Being one body, one spirit, as you were all called to the same glorious hope of divine destiny. He gives us a reason why we do this. Verse 5, For the Lord God is one, and so are we. For we share in one faith, one baptism, one Father, and He is the perfect Father who leads us, works through us, and lives in us all. And he has generously given each one of us a supernatural grace according to the size of the gift of Jesus, as we spoke about earlier. And I skip to verse 10. The same one who descended is the one who ascended above the heights of heaven in order to begin the restoration and fulfillment of all things. That word restoration is powerful. I wish we could study it. Because it says Jesus went to heaven to restore all things. Isn't it interesting, out of the gifts that are listed, the one we're the most familiar with is the last one, which is teaching. We see in the Reformation or with Martin Luther that God restored teacher. 
Then we start seeing that he starts restoring the shepherd. Then we start seeing he starts restoring the evangelist. He's restoring all of those. But let's move on. I digress. Jesus is restoring and fulfilling all things, not just this little thing. And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles, and some with grace to be prophets, and some with grace to be evangelists, and some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own work of ministry. Not so we can hire them to do our job. Why? Is this because they can be lazy and sit at home and eat bonbons and watch whatever Netflix or TV shows? No, because if we don't engage in what God has for us, we don't experience his presence and fulfillment. Unfortunately, in today's culture, you know, I, I love to hate Dilbert. You know, Dilbert is about, you know, the absolute failures of leadership. <laughs> you know, as I joke, follow me, I'm right behind you. <laughs> the calling of this Ephesians 4 is to help us. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we attain oneness in the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. If we understand this, then we, then we can just start washing away some of the baloney that's out there. Okay? Let's move on. I'm not going to finish that. I think I've, I've labored the point that this is about unity and maturity. And we, we've just seen the opposite. So, enough said. Now, the gifts of God, so to speak, part two. We, we started in part one with Romans, you know, 12, 3 through 8. So now we're going to finish up with Corinthians 12, 18 through 20. And let me just, yep, we've got some time. So at the beginning, it talks about these are the gifts of the Spirit as he designates. So 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 20 says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 24 through 26, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Let me read that again. God has designed the body of Christ so that we give greater honor to the part of the body that lacks it. That there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care one for another. This is why I believe the apostles said, give us seven men who turned out to be, you know, probably forerunners of what deacons are, so they could stop the racial distribution of food. Some of the widows were not getting the same amount of food. 
giving greater honor to the part of the body that lacks it. This is why Steve says, there's no junior Holy Spirit. Just because we have children's church, it doesn't mean that there's a children's God and a children's Holy Spirit. And when they grow up, then they can meet the real Holy Spirit. No, we're just trying to teach them in their context. But we've got to be careful not to treat children that way. Why? So there is no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I've got a note here. Who in your sphere of influence in the church, where you live, where you work, needs greater honor? This is how we know we're living this out. I'm not even sure we know how to do this. I've studied leadership for 35 years. You know, one of the forerunners on servant leadership, Robert Greenleaf, who worked for AT&T, wrote a dissertation. And I've read his book, which is not for the faint of heart, but is it amazing? Oh, my goodness where he discusses servant leadership. I love what Bill Johnson says. He leads like a servant, and he serves like a king. Why? Because when you serve people, they can be ruthless, and you need to be very smart. And when you lead people, you're in the position of authority, so you need to make it inclusive. Lead like a servant, not that you're the doormat and you abdicate your authority, but you need to make sure everybody's got a voice. It says everybody comes with a gift, a hymn, a psalm. There's this different aspect going on that we've seen glimpses of. But how do we move into that more and more effectively? It's going to take all of us. It's not that we don't have a head and we don't have structure. But it's there so we can give greater honor. Now, at another point, we do need to discuss what happens if we're not being given honor. Absolutely. And I think women especially have been beaten over this. It says, you know, women, you know, follow. It doesn't say women submit to all men. It says, wives submit to your husband as he submits to the Lord. (laughs) And us men are so perfect. We submit all the time. And if you believe that, I have some ice to sell you in South, I mean, in, you know, the North Pole. That doesn't mean to say, you know, and say, I've got to follow my wife at times. God speaks to her. Well, I'm the husband, shut up and listen to it. We've seen that. None of us want to live there. No wonder women rise up and go, Well, if that's God, I'll have peanut butter on a good day. How do we break this down and hear each other? The image of God isn't a man or a woman. It's both. He created male and female in his image. Giving greater honor to the part that lacks it. This is our challenge. Now, this is coming from somebody who grew up in South Africa, one of the most racist countries, 
I grew up being told that God, it's because it says God created man, beasts, and animals. White people were men, all other color people were beasts, and then there were animals. I got in serious trouble because I would say, my friends, well, he beats me at math, so maybe I should become a beast because it must be smarter being a beast. <laughs> my mother, by law, was paid half of a man. And when I challenged that, oh my goodness. Well, women should be at home raising children. And they didn't mean it demeaningly, at least some of them. And I said, so what happens if the husband does? Well, he would have life insurance. Well, what happens if he didn't have life insurance? Well, that would never happen. Have you read the statistics? So you want a single woman raising children on half the salary because she was born a woman. And then colored women were paid even less. <laughs> that is beyond wrong. I'm a little passionate about this. We have to grow in this of any group. We should be the ones growing up and changing and, and showing a better way. Okay. All right, so let's move on. So, Let's look, um, did I read all of that? I think I did. Now we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 28. Here's the list. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In other words, we're a body, but each of us have a part. And God has appointed in the church. And if somebody out there reads Greek, I really want to know, because I wonder, so has God appointed something different outside of the church? This is the structure in the church. But as we've seen, he raises up people outside the church. So is the structure outside the church? I'm genuinely asking. I mean, you know, I don't think this is rhetorical, but it could be. So if anybody out there knows, please let me know. And God is appointed in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles. And it always cracked me up. I remember what I've said so. How do you write a resume to join the leadership of the church with miracles? I've raised six from the dead, three broken legs. I, I, well, that's how we Westerners think. I mean, let's be honest. Until we get to these kinds of things, and then we, it gets too awkward, and it doesn't make sense, and we forget that part. But it says, in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, then helping, then administration, and the various kinds of tongues. I've never seen a resume on various kinds of tongues. Because that's got to mean like you speak multiple languages and then languages of heaven and maybe in the charismatic tongue. I don't know. I want to see that resume. And how do you employ that person in the church? Now, I'm being cheeky for a reason. But let's look at this. Now, remember I just said the gifts and the, and the government or the structure, the leadership of church are different. I remember in the late 80s, 90s, everybody was a prophet until somebody read the scripture. Oh my goodness, prophets are second. We're all apostles now. Serious. 
what, I'm starting to see a similar thing go on again. Please don't buy into that baloney. Please. It is so dangerous. And it is beyond not biblical. This is not a hierarchy. We just read all of this is to protect the weakest amongst us. Not so we can stride around and demand more money and prestige. Leadership, like trust, is earned. God is raising up these people. I mean, based upon this, administration ranks, what is it, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Really? You're not going to build much without administrators? <laughs> Many of us need that gifting. And those people... You, so there's something going on here. God is speaking to us. This isn't, it says, you know, Jesus was the firstborn amongst, I think it says Abraham or something. Well, what? No, he wasn't. Adam was the firstborn. So can't mean firstborn as in first conceived. For one, we know that Jesus is God. So we've got to look at language and and is it metaphorical? Is it symbolic? Because there's more going on here. It, there, is, there is government. We do have to have structure. But I don't say first apostle men, second prophets men, third teachers men, then miracles men, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful or any of that I'm just saying God is asking us to come alive and be who we are and lean into that more not so that we can stand up and, and create more disunity. But so that we can build what God is asking us to build. Okay. Clear as mud. Then it ends with 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 31. Are all apostles, and I know for a fact in the original, which is not the King James, that this is being rhetorical or facetious. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? That is actually rhetorical. I mean, Paul is being very sarcastic. But it ends with 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. In other words, everything I've just read is not considered higher gifts. <gasps> but first apostles, I don't give a rip. This is scripture. Does it demean apostles, prophets, all of that? Not at all. You go into Corinthians 13 and 14 and it talks about love. And if you don't have love, you're a noisy gong. And then it says, but desire to prophesy. Why? Because in that context, you're communicating to people. You're able to share 
It doesn't say do it if you're an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, evangelist. I, I think you, you hear my heart in this. I've belabored the point. Only because as we get into other sessions, and again, this is session you know, two, we're going through how we experience God. The next session is going to be about the gift of prophecy and the spirit of prophecy and some of that. I want this as a foundation. So we don't forget everything is about unity and maturity. And, and growing up and growing in and, and being kind with each other. We don't have all the answers. There are some things that are non-negotiables. Jesus is Lord. Scripture is God-breathed. It is divine, but it wasn't written to us. It was written for us. A lot of things like that that we divide ourselves over that I don't think are helpful. Now, my family has a different culture than your family, and that's okay. Catch the Fire Boulder is going to have a unique culture within Catch the Fire Global. And Catch the Fire Global has a movement is going to have a different feeling than the vineyard, than what Bill Johnson's doing, and that's okay. But we're brothers and sisters. We're not enemies, even if we disagree. And we need to disagree about stuff. But not to divide. Okay, so who are the people in your life, as I read, that need you, that need grace, that you need to protect, that aren't being heard? And how do you help them be heard? giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And I'm not being Pollyanna. God has challenged me with that at times at work. And it's, some of it's taken me sometimes two or three years to figure out how I can be genuine in this situation. But when I got there, I was able to make a difference. That's what God is asking us to do. So, again, as you go through this, open up to people around you. If you're not sure who you are, or your gifting, or your calling. And, and don't define yourself by that. First and foremost, you're a child of the most high God, the greatest creator. In the beginning, God created. At times I just sit and I go, oh, great creator. I know that sounds new age, but it's biblical. 
That's, that's a part of who he is. Yes, it's important because it'll help us grow. But let's keep it in context, okay? So, let's end. I want to read the scripture. Um, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it starts with the verse before, Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Just as love casts out fear, peace helps us combat worry. It doesn't say, you know, it doesn't say don't worry, period. God knows we worry. <laughs> it says when you worry, turn it into prayer. Take this and make it an offering. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you have done. You are a great high priest. You are our example. You are an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a teacher, and a shepherd. There is none like you. And we have said yes to you. And God, those that have it, I thank you that you continue to move on them and convince them of who you are. Not just by your power, but by your peace that surpasses all understanding, God. That your peace continue to rest on us. And that you would take our chin, God, and and lift it, so to speak, so that we can look into you and see how you see us and your love for us. Especially in this time, God, and in this season where everything seems to have been turned upside down. Our eyes are on you, Jesus, and what you're doing. And I ask that in your mercy and your love and your greatness, that who you are will become more and more real to us, specifically your peace. You help us set our minds on things above, God, not just ethereal, but just the things you've shown us and what you've spoken to our hearts. That that hope within us, God, would become more and more real. And God, those that you are breathing upon in that area of faith, I just ask for more, God, more. All that you're doing and saying, God, all that you have promised. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. If you would like to find out more about who we are, you can find that at ctfboulder.com. If you haven't already, please make sure to follow us on all of our other social media platforms. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Spotify. We post different content on each platform, and we want you guys to stay as updated as possible. We have so much love for you guys. God bless.